0: Today we have a round two with one of my favorite people, Dr. Will Cole, about all things functional medicine, elimination diets, and his new book, The Inflammation Spectrum. We also do a little bit on COVID-19. But before I go into that episode and who Dr. Cole is, let's look at yet another review from you, the listener. This one comes from CBI-NHC, wealth of information in this gem of a podcast podcast. If you're looking for better improvement in any of all facets of your life, Decoding Superhuman is the podcast for you. Great content, guests, and so many other things. CBI NHC, thank you for the five-star review. If you guys are so compelled, head on over to iTunes right away or just after this episode because you're going to love this conversation. And leave one. Write a little something, something, and who knows, maybe I'll read yours on the next show. My guest today is around two. Dr. Will Cole is a leading functional medicine expert who consults people around the world, both virtually and in his office, which is not too far from my hometown in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. He specializes in clinically investigating underlying factors of chronic diseases, specifically things like thyroid issues, autoimmune conditions hormone dysfunctions, brain problems, and digestive disorders. Say that five times fast. Dr. Cole was named one of the top 50 functional medicine and integrative doctors in the nation and is a health expert and course instructor for the world's largest wellness brands, such as Mind Body Green and Goop, where he is featured on the Goop Fellows podcast. Dr. Cole came on the show today to discuss a number of different things, but given what's going on in the world right now, I wanted his opinion on COVID-19. We discuss what we know about the virus, what can be done, and what specific lifestyle modifications you may want to adopt during this period. However, this podcast really was scheduled months before COVID-19 became a trending news topic, and we got into his book, The Inflammation Spectrum, in detail, specifically how you can identify your individual needs for both food as well as lifestyle modifications through simple questionnaires, which Dr. Cole actually provides in his book. I love the way he's able to explain this, take it from really complex biochemistry and make it into relatable words. All the show notes on this one are at decodingsuperhuman.com slash drcole2, that's D-R-C-O-L-E with the number two. Enjoy my conversation with Dr. Will Cole. Before Will and I get into yet another interesting conversation, let's give a shout out to Two Soul Wellness because they are up to amazing things in this world. Ingrid and Alana will soon be on the podcast to discuss this brand in detail, but over the past week, I've had the pleasure of carrying around their packets with me, which produced these absolutely delicious smoothies. In trying times like this, or just really any time, it's nice to have a very convenient nutrient-dense smoothie available at any given time. If you want to check out their products, head over to it's Tusolwellness.com. It's T-U-S-O-L wellness.com. And you can just purchase one because it's nice to have nutrients at convenience. That's TusolWellness.com, And let's get on with the show. Dr. Cole, welcome back. My goodness. Thank you so much for having me been a long time, my friend, and you've been up to a lot, a new book, a new podcast. How do you, we were talking about this before the show, but I just want to know, like, how do you keep all of this together?
1: An amazing team, um, an amazing wife, amazing family. Uh, you It's uh, anybody that does uh, but does a lot of work in you know professionally it needs to have a great team around them I maybe not needs, but the people that I've seen uh really be impactful. they can't do it alone
0: mm-hmm.
1: so uh, um I'm so grateful for them you everybody, but my team's amazing uh like I, I mentioned to you, most of them have been with me close to a decade um, and um my day job hasn't changed. My focus is my patience M- Monday through. Thursday, 8 a.m. to 6 p.m., I'm consulting patients around the world via webcam and providing them a lifeline, functional medicine guidance and getting them labs and access to this amazing field of healthcare that I'm passionate about. Mm -hmm. So and we we deal with complex cases. We deal with very um, difficult cases, cases that require a lot of attention and Um, really us to immerse ourselves in them because they're not um these are not cases that this is their first foray in functional medicine they've seen a lot of conventional doctors they've exhausted all those options so and they've seen many people in the conventional uh, sorry the functional and the integrative and naturopathic world or the whatever alternative world uh so that requires a great team as well so Mm -hmm. we have um that's all kind of stayed the same over the past decade but all the other stuff that i'm doing is really just an extension of that so like the books that i would write with a ketotarian or the inflammation spectrum both are just extensions on what i've seen with patients even the podcast even goop fellows i own the only thing i can bring to the table is my insight into functional medicine and it, it's my years of consulting patients, I think of me being curious and asking questions and wanting to get to the root cause and kind of going past the fluffiness, mm-hmm. I think has served what I could bring to Goopfellas m- more because of my experience with patients. Because yeah. I'm used to asking questions and wanting to dig in deep to the stuff that matters. So that's what, what we get to do on that show.
0: So. In terms of quantity of patients, has that gone down at all, or are you still seeing similar quantity? I'm
1: still seeing similar quantity, yeah. So I, I've been able to um, keep a good doctor-to-patient ratio, so mm-hmm. we, um, we can't help everybody. And for somebody yeah. that isn't a good candidate or where it is too too much for our patient, though, we don't want to um, have that impact the quality of care. Of so course. we would just we could delay care for some people, push them back a little bit if that 's possible, or we refer them to another great person in functional medicine, um, but that oftentimes isn 't needed we We definitely delegate and scale appropriately. We have brought more people on the patient team to provide that care, so it is a lot more an, an enrichment experiential a time for people to immerse themselves in functional medicine. And we, we the, the team that we have scaled is the patient team, where Got I'm it. still doing all the main consultations, but uh, the in-between visits, because we run as a concierge functional medicine practice, and anybody mm-hmm. dealing with autoimmune issues or chronic health problems will know that the real life happens in, when you're not talking to a doctor. yeah. So we need to not only be available on the visits, but be in be available for them in between visits. So that's where the email and phone support, because we are seeing patients via webcam, uh, really matters. Mm-hmm. So it is an immersive concierge, functional medicine experience. That's what we have scaled, because mm-hmm. uh, we need to, because you can't provide the people the level of care that they need for these complex cases with just being going through the motions. Or, and you can't do it with one person, uh, because if I'm in a consult where I'm really immersing myself in their case, there's tons of other patients that need that support there too. Of course. So we, we have a great patient support team and we have a team meeting every morning. We have deep dives every Tuesday. Um, so we are always refining the cases and vetting everything they're getting and providing them the guidance that they need. Uh, it's very, very important to me because I see really good intentions with other systems, uh, but a lot of things fall through the cracks in other systems. Not, yeah. well, not, not intentionally. It's just there's a lot to manage with these cases, and you need a very thorough net to be there for them and yeah. be a guidance and support system and structure and follow through. Because sometimes the it's like set it and forget it with doctors, and it's like very disorganized. I, I, I need organization. For for my my own self and my own team, but the patient needs organization too, and certainty.
0: This is beautiful. And at some point I'm going to pick your brain about this separately offline, because as (laughs) I think about how to structure my own, this sounds amazing to me. Uh, I want to go down some of the typical patients that you see, but just given all the news right now, I think there's something I want to touch on first. Uh, COVID-19. And I haven't really delved deep into it on the show because, you know, getting the right people is key to me. But how do you look at this? Because I'm sure you get the question from your patients all the time. How do you look at this in terms of what we know, what we don't know? And then is there any kind of general rules of thumb people should be following other than they should have been healthy in the first place?
1: Yeah, we live in definitely interesting times. And, you know, it's if you look throughout human history and last, I mean, in 2009, I guess, with H1N1, uh, that kind of is along the same lines. We saw the writing on the wall that this was just a matter of when, uh, if it was going to happen. And then you go back to 1918 uh, with the Spanish flu. Um, and it looks like, I mean, we know a lot more about how viruses spread and measures we can take when compared to 1918. Uh, so if I would encourage people to maybe look at what, was done in 1918 and the world is resilient. I mean, we, we went, we went through 1918 with the Spanish flu pandemic and we're still resilient and we moved through that. And that was in many ways far worse statistically at this point comparing that to Mm -hmm. COVID-19. What I would say is, you know, we have to just be, we have to be smart. And I think that the measures that the countries are taking at this point, again, at, As we're recording right now, things may have changed. Of course, the weeks, but uh, at this point, I think the measures of blunting the the transmission curve is a good thing, and I would rather us look back on this and say we overreacted than underreacted Mm -hmm. to decrease. But unlike 1918, which was largely impacting guys, young people in their 20s to 40s, this seems to be for the most part impacting. Elderly people and impacting people that are immunocompromised. Mm-hmm. Um, so, not that that makes it any better, but it's just a different beast. It's it's impacting different people, and what it seems like, at least this time around, uh, if you are healthy, uh, you the chances are actually quite low compared to to nineteen eighteen, mm-hmm. um, and. I think the social distancing is smart. I think supporting a healthy immune system is smart. Like you said, the the best thing we can do is have a healthy foundation because it seems like things like smoking, which really impacted men in China, obesity is a a risk factor. People with immune compromisation is a risk factor. And uh, old age is a risk factor. Mm -hmm. So the things we can control, we can't change our age. And you can't necessarily, if someone is on immunosuppressant or has some horrible health problem. They can't necessarily change that right now, but the things we can control is being the healthiest we can be and changing and controlling the things we can control. So that obviously with the advice of washing hands, having, I think if anything, this is how to help the West be a little bit cleaner as far as how the things we take for granted that these, this can be a really great way to blunt transmission uh, Mm -hmm. of the virus. But yeah, uh, eating a nutrient dense diet, taking care of yourself uh, moving being as healthy as you can be these are all practical tips that people can do to have these mild to moderate cases where you're seeing and i, I think without a doubt I, as as testing becomes more available and as time goes down you're going to see that fatality rate drop from what the world health organization is saying around three percent the fatality rate come down closer to one or under one percent because i think in my opinion i think and i'm Let me caveat all of this with I am not a global health expert, I'm not an epidemiologist, but I'm looking at the the stats out there, I'm looking at the data, and all I can bring is my functional medicine perspective. Mm -hmm. But when you compare this to other things throughout history, um, as more people are tested, you're going to see these numbers come down because I… Really believe that there are a lot of cases out there that are mild to moderate that have been going on for a lot longer than what they even think, mm-hmm. uh, and we are just aware of it now. We're seeing it now, and we are. These numbers are skewed because most of the people that are being tested are these people that are immunocompromised and elderly. So again, good that we're taking these measures. It's good that the world is waking up. Uh, and I, I posted this on Instagram the other day, and I really think that in anything we can learn. The silver lining in this is that I really feel that we are part of nature. We're not separate from it. And yeah. nature is teaching us something right now. Nature is teaching us that we are not separate from her and we need to be respectful and be mindful of this. And we need to be good stewards of the planet. And when you look at what's happening and where all this, what researchers are kind of looking at of out of Wuhan with these wet markets and how the animals are treated in, in those markets. and the fact that SARS and MERS and now this are all coming out of these sort of really not good places when it comes to um, cleanliness Mm -hmm. Uh, and, and, I think that that's the biggest thing we can learn is how are we doing things as a planet, not just in China, but globally, that's unsustainable and we need to do something different to see something different. So hopefully there's some positive things that come out of this and we can kind of reframe. I, I, I saw a meme recently. It said, uh, mother earth told us all to go to our rooms mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's kind of, we, we are all being um, told to, basically to slow down and reassess things and allow things to recalibrate because I mean, we have the, 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 um, the standard influenza, the, the actual flu pandemics happen and then it calms down and it lives in, in us. It's more of a homeostasis. Yeah. So there's going to be a homeostasis when it comes to COVID-19 as well. Mm-hmm. I mean, epidemiologists estimate that most of us are going to get strands of it. Many of us won't have symptoms and that's, how nature works and um so that's that's ultimately my thoughts on it what i'm focusing on with my patients is what can i do to support their immune system through this and what can i do to help their mental emotional components of all of this to the stress and anxiety through it all because context matters and i think if i can be a sounding board but also a rootedness for them to give them context because. We live in a day and age that 1918 didn't have access to social media, endless <laughs> scrolling news, where it is feeding this hysteria beyond the facts, and that's mm-hmm. not healthy, you know. And I think that that if I can create a soundness and a place of peace and calm through this storm, uh, it is that's what I'm trying to do for my patients.
0: And. You mentioned you're working with your patients, both from a nutrient standpoint, but also from this mental physical standpoint. If uh, the nutrient standpoint, I understand that's bespoke and I don't necessarily want you to go down that route, but on the mental physical standpoint, aside from being a soundboard, are there basic practices that people can have? Like is meditation the right habit to pick up or is there other, other, you know, tools in the toolbox that people should have during these times?
1: I would say one uh, at this point where we're at is, is pick up a book, like read this disconnect from social media. I mean, we're, I've always said this even before this pandemic, but social media and technology and the you know, internet is a double edged sword. It's an amazing way to connect people, but it also is a source of stress and anxiety and s- social isolation in many ways where people are connected, but more disconnected like ever before. So I would say, Read a book, be sit in silence, be, um, find activities in your house that find, that bring you joy, Mm -hmm. uh, get out in nature. You know, it's it, that is social distancing. You're not going to be around people to so go through the woods and walk and, and allow nature to ground you and bring you presence and heal you. I mean, the research coming out of South Korea and Japan, as far as forest bathing and the impact yeah. it can have on stress hormones, lowering inflammation, helping the immune system, different mechanisms of the actual essential oils from the forests being therapeutic and calming people's stress levels uh so that's one thing that i would say uh, to do that and the other one is social social distance but also stay connected so use the benefits of technology to yeah. facetime or skype like we're talking now mm-hmm. on zoom or you know uh, call someone on the phone you know that old-fashioned thing <laughs> just <laughs> calling them people do uh, that stuff? write a letter as long as the mail's still going yeah Uh, something like that that just to to stay connected um but allow this time to pass and to come and go and -hmm. it's going to pass it's going to pass and we just need to be rooted in this moment and use it as a meditation practice really of non-resistance of acceptance non-judgment um so I would say another thing to do is to make sure you're sticking to a schedule. If you are socially isolated, if you aren't, if you are at home, stick with the schedule. Mm-hmm. Um, don't just lay around and binge watch TV all day long. Don't go. You need to find a routine because routine can create a stillness and structure and stability for you. It's good for people's mental health, but still give yourself grace and lightness. You know you want to watch more TV, do it then. But ultimately, I think the foundation should be have a structured uh, th- uh, aspect to it that works for you mm-hmm. um, and move, move your body. If you're inside, if you're not able to get outside, move your body. Find an exercise routine that works for you. Um, eat. We well like these are foundation things people should be doing anyways, but mm-hmm. it's even more of a reason to do it now. But I, there's a lot of free content online. There's great meditation apps like Calm and Headspace and many other ones, mm-hmm. um, and there's great U- YouTube videos that people can do for meditation and exercise to utilize that. Um, and basic like things that everybody else is talking about, about washing your hands and being smart with that, and supplements that I've brought into my life, and I'm recommending for people to consider, to look into, uh, would be things like upping vitamin C content, like mm. upping a zinc content, upping... Uh, fat-soluble vitamins like A and D and K2. Mm -hmm. These are all immunoregulatory things that really help the immune system to be resilient, to be able to do what it's designed to do, which is to fight off viruses and to put them into remission. So those are all things that are practical that honestly I do anyways, but it's even more of a reason to focus on that and to not be lax and miss things here and there. But Mm -hmm. I think that, and a lot of this, that those nutrients that I just mentioned can come from food. So just focusing on foods that are inherently rich with these nutrients.
0: Uh, My one hope, and this may be just what I look at in terms of is been taken from the grocery store may be, this may be a far-fetched hope, but my hope is that people start to take more of a proactive approach on their health based on this. And I mean, you mentioned it earlier that this may be mother nature fighting back, but in a way we've, the signs are on the, on the scoreboard. We need to do a little bit more about our health than we are currently. And mm-hmm. I'm hoping that, you know, and the aisles of my grocery store as I'm sure with yours are are kind of a little bit empty right now. And the things that have been removed are, are the gluten containing products, but I hope that there is this transition into a healthier lifestyle going forward.
1: Yeah, me too. Me too. I really think we could come out of this more resilient and smarter and wiser. And we all had a wake up call. Yeah. Um, I, on a macro level and on a, on a personal level, I hope that we had a good, healthy wake up call Absolutely. on how we do, do life personally and globally.
0: Mm-hmm. I want to transition into the book because that was the re- original reason for the podcast before all of this news broke. The inflammation spectrum. And one of the, first, one of the best quotes <laughs> that you give in the intro was, uh, there's no Switzerland of food. And I, I'm going to steal that in some sort of presentation in the future. I will quote you. But can you explain what you mean by that? I want to interrupt this knowledge dropping podcast with Dr. Will Cole to talk about something that I love so much that I made my parents buy one. Saunas. They're great for recovery in certain instances. They're great for detoxification in other instances, and they just sometimes feel really awesome. I got really excited about this product from Clear Light so much so that I made my parents buy one. If you want to get a Clearlight Sauna, head on over to clearlightsaunas.eu if you're in the EU, or over to Clearlight's website in the US and use the code BOOMER, and that'll get you a nice little discount on top of whatever sale that they're offering at any given time. But again, I love this thing so much that I made my parents buy one, and I think that speaks a lot to the quality of their products. Speaking of quality, let's get back to this episode with Dr. Cole.
1: Yeah, and I've been saying that for a long time actually in like in other articles and things, but uh, it's funny that you got my strange play
0: on words, you know. Uh, and there's no I, neutral I, I enjoy it, right? Like a yeah. history freak. So <laughs> this is great.
1: There's no neutral food. There's not no, no food is instructing our biochemistry. And actually this is my wife and I were talking about this last night with a friend, like the inflammation spectrum, even more now than ever, I think the message of it's really important for the human immune system because inflammation is a product of the immune system. Mm-hmm. So when you're dealing with chronic inflammation, and honestly, when you look at the people, not to bring it back to COVID again, but they uh, the um, over-immune reactivity for some people's lungs, like some people's immune systems already stressed out, and then you put a virus in there and it triggers this hyper-inflammatory immune response. And then what's really getting them is the lung over the, the, the actual consumption of the immune system overreacting and causing viral pneumonia, and then they die from that. Mm-hmm. So we have to be ultimately mindful of what the immune system's designed to do and creating a stable, balanced, logical immune system where it can fight off the virus or fight off the bacteria, whatever you're talking about in life, but can calm back down. Many people's immune systems are already taxed. And then of some, something like a virus can trigger that and set it over the edge, and they can't rebound from it. So what um, I'm discussing in the inflammation spectrum is how every food we eat either feeds inflammation or fights it. It balances the immune system or imbalances the immune system. So we want a balanced immune system. Uh, inflammation is not inherently bad. It is, it is a, 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 the Goldilocks principle. We want inflammation to be high when there's a virus and fight off that virus. But we also wanted to calm down afterwards and not create chronic infections and viral pneumonias that last forever. And be very bad. We want there to be homeostasis in the body when it comes to inflammation and the immune system. So when I said about there's no switcher meal, there's no neutral food in the inflammation spectrum, what I'm saying is that every food we eat instructs our biochemistry. It's feeding inflammation or fighting it. And we are all different. So the goal of the book is to find out what your body loves. Yeah calm inflammation to balance the immune system to have a resilient immune system so that's that's really the message of the book it's an exploration of foods to find out how to use food to balance your immune system but it's also an exploration of non-food things like we just were talking about like stress and you know social connection Mm -hmm. uh, and and social media and how these things can bring inflammation or calm inflammation levels too because it's not just about what you're feeding your body it's what you're feeding your mind and your soul Mm -hmm. as well so that, that's food as, as well for biochemistry.
0: Well, coming from a functional medicine standpoint, and functional medicine is rooted in a lot of testing, but one of the more controversial tests out there is food sensitivity testing. Mm-hmm. How do you look at food sensitivity testing, both within your own practice, but just more broadly, and then applying it towards a person individualizing their own food plan?
1: So we've come a a long way. I think there's some definitely good, solid food sensitivity testing out there. Mm -hmm. Uh, There's a sidebar in the inflammation spectrum where I talk about it. There's a place for it. But it's not the gold standard uh, in clinical nutrition. It's not the gold standard in functional medicine. Um, A properly formulated elimination diet is the gold standard at this point. So that's really what I walk people through. In the in the inflammation spectrum, how to do it? What what type of elimination diet should you do based on your specific case? Because we're all different. And I would say this: is that with these food sensitivity testing, I there's a lot of um, you know, I get these tests for intakes for consultations. They'll give me like the labs they've had it done in the last year, and I'll get these food sensitivity testing done. And you'll see a lot of foods come back positive, and a few things happen. One is that they've Designed their entire diet around this snapshot in time when they got it a year ago at 7 a.m. in the morning when they collected the test. And those labs, like all labs, are snapshots in time. You really can't necessarily just design 12 months' worth of eating based off of that one snapshot in time. Mm-hmm. And when you see a lot of foods being positive, it's more of a sign of intestinal permeability or leaky gut syndrome and less to do about that random food that showed up as yellow or red or out, out of range. Mm-hmm. So you, the, what I, when I see that test, my mind goes to, okay, we need to help the immune system and help the gut lining integrity and help to improve gut health overall, which is 75% of the immune system. So to have a healthy immune system, you need to have a healthy gut. And when you see the immune system overreacting to these foods, it's really more to do with the overreaction of the immune system, less to do with that spinach or strawberry or whatever kale that shows up positive on that test or that nut or that seed or whatever you're talking about. Mm -hmm. um, But I would say this also is that if you went to that lab a different day or a different week, you'll probably see foods being different, (laughs) different foods being positive. Mm -hmm. So what are you supposed to do? Readjust your whole life based off of a snapshot in time. So, and, and, and also, those labs can feed into people's anxiety and stress and orthorexia about what the heck am I supposed to eat? You know, mm-hmm. air and ice cubes and like low lectin bark. And they, there's nothing left in their diet that's substantial <laughs> because these foods they're thinking, Oh my gosh, these foods are causing me all these problems and I can't have. No, it's just, that's that this is not an allergy test. This is a sensitivity or reactivity test. And that's the other thing too. Those words are used so interchangeably and flippantly that, People come in and say, Yes, I have an allergy test, and you get it, and it's not an allergy test. Mm-hmm. It's an immune mediated test, it's a sensitivity test or reactivity test, but it's not an allergy. So they think that they have allergies for all these things too, which probably isn't true based off of that lab data. Now, we could run allergy tests to see if that's separately going on too, but that's not, you can't base that off of that sensitivity test. So I just think there's a lot of lack of context, lack of deciphering that lab. And it's not very practical for most people. Now, there's exceptions to that rule. For somebody who's cleaned up their diet, they can run a food sensitivity testing later on to see maybe it is this two or three foods that they can move their immune system in a better way by removing it for a time while they actively heal their gut. Mm-hmm. That's the bigger reason of the problem in the first place. But the other caveat is people that have autoimmunity, have specific gluten reactivities, whether they're celiac, or MS, or somebody that has obvious responses to to um, gluten, which is the protein mm-hmm. found in wheat, rye, oat, barley, spelt. Mm-hmm. Those the, for those people, I like the cross reactivity lab. This is the gluten cross re- reactivity lab that I talk about in the book. That those are proteins in these healthy foods that are similar enough in structure to gluten that their immune system for the celiac or the autoimmune person, their immune system thinks that egg protein or quinoa protein or rice protein or chocolate protein or coffee protein or these uh, gluten-free grain proteins are gluten. So it's Mm -hmm. as if they had never gone gluten-free to their immune system. So that molecular mimicry, that sort of case of mistaken identity where a person needs to go gluten-free but their immune system thinks that gluten is still being consumed on a daily basis because of these cross-reactive foods, that test is appropriate. So there are certain tools that you can use and glean information with these diagnostics, but I don't think that everybody should just go get food sensitivity testing. Mm -hmm. So that's sort of my my long-winded opinion on that. And that's why I talk about it in the inflammation spectrum so people can kind of find out how to actually do it in a more cost-effective way. They don't have to buy the test for this. They can actually find out what their body loves a lot cheaper.
0: And, and, you know, I have the audiobook and the PDF download that you have with the audiobook takes people through a quiz. And I love that. <clears throat> One of the areas that you kept mentioning was the presence of leaky gutter, intestinal permeability. What percentage of people would you say that come into your clinic or see you virtually have intestinal permeability? Because I've heard numbers that are absurdly high or, you know, people kind of like to take the middle of the road approach. Yeah,
1: and I would venture to say that again. I'm seeing not the average person. I'm mm-hmm. seeing a lot of people with autoimmunity. I'm seeing a lot of people with chronic inflammatory problems impacting their brain, like anxiety, depression, fatigue. I'm seeing a lot of hormonal problems and digestive problems. So my patient base is really skewed to people that research would point to having a higher rate of intestinal permeability. Yeah. So I see it pretty often, but I'm not. I don't know the average. American. Mm -hmm. Most people in our space would probably say most Americans have some level of intestinal permeability. And I think that's a a good assumption to say the majority do. I don't know how much do, but my patient base is very, very common um, Mm -hmm. because I'm dealing with people. But if you look at the studies, like uh, Alessia Fasano and the people that are really looking at this, they almost would say that some level of intestinal permeability is a precondition for things like autoimmunity yeah. and this larger autoimmune inflammation spectrum that I talk about in the book where there's silent autoimmunity, meaning if you ran labs, you'd see some things off, but the person feels all right. Mm-hmm. And then stage two is autoimmune reactivity, meaning they have symptoms, they don't feel well, but it doesn't fit all the criteria of conventional medicine to call it a full-blown autoimmune disease. By the time somebody's diagnosed with autoimmune disease, you have to have significant destruction of certain parts of your body for mainstream medicine to call it what it is. Mm -hmm. So Addison's disease, for example, autoimmune adrenal disease, requires 90% destruction of the adrenal glands, MS, celiac disease. You have to have about 70 or more percentage destruction of the myelin sheath or villi of the gut, whatever you're talking about for conventional medicine to say hey we caught it on an imaging study or this is we see this this is what it is let's label you with this ICD10 or this diagnosis <laughs> code if you're outside of the states so the but research estimates that 4 to 10 years prior to that diagnosis yeah. is when things were brewing on this autoimmune inflammation spectrum so that's really what the inflammation spectrum is about it's this no matter where you're at on the inflammation spectrum you may not be diagnosable, even though many of our patients are, but there are many people in this middle space where they don't feel well, they, they, and, but they aren't, they're told hey, it looks autoimmune or maybe like an ANA is positive or they have a family history of autoimmunity or you know, it's, they know it's inflammatory, but it's not obviously autoimmune yet. So it's, it's that sort of space that we, we talk to people too, so they can start to calm and do what they can to reclaim their health
0: mm-hmm So, just to kind of take us through a time series, when you're working with a patient, do they come in with labs before they see you, or are they? Is there a thorough intake, a discussion, and then maybe you start a protocol for them on leaky gut, and then they go for labs? How does that? How does that look for you?
1: Most of our patients have labs from other doctors. Okay. Because um, again, we're normally not their first like introduction into all of this, but gotcha. there are some patients that have old labs. Mm-hmm. You know, and at that point I don't require people to have labs for a consultation because I want to know what labs are even relevant because some of these labs especially in the functional medicine space aren't covered by insurance. So yeah. I want to do a thorough health history to see what's even relevant for that person to run because I want to be comprehensive but still be cost-effective and smart and practical. So I can fine tune through a comprehensive health history during that consultation to see okay, what's the most relevant labs for you mm-hmm. so we're not shooting in the dark and i'm like without talking to somebody at length i don't know what labs they should be having for car consultation so that's the something that we need to really value more and something that i really respect is a really thorough health history and asking a lot of questions and being curious kind of earlier what i've said um with you know how that's informed me with different other things other than seeing patients is that just to be a good practitioner you need to be curious and hold mm-hmm. space for somebody that's going through uh, heavy things so that's the what i call the duality of functional medicine there's the science of it like really knowing your stuff clinically but then there's the art of it and that's holding space for somebody that's the space in between words it's seeing little looks in their eyes or the way the tone of their
0: words the language that they're using yeah
1: body language it's Mm -hmm. and we're seeing patients online and and it's you're not even in the room with them to feel that energetically but you just know you've kind of refined that art over the past 11 years for me but just to know where we should go so that health history conforms okay this lab and this lab and this lab would be good this is the next step so to answer your question i don't need new labs to get started I want a good health history to get started and mm-hmm. the good health history will say, okay, this lab, this lab and this lab will work. Now, if there are some people with labs that are recent, then of course, I'll use them too. Go, oh, cool. You had this lab done like four months ago. Let's let's use that. But, um, I don't always have that. So I have to kind of start with the health history.
0: Mm-hmm. And, <laughs> Now, I want to compare sort of your elimination diet versus some of the others out there can think of like Whole 30, for instance, or mm-hmm. there's that classic book, and I have it over here called The Elimination Diet, right? Uh, whereby you eliminate so many foods for a very long period of time. But you give a very thorough survey for people to start to identify which types of foods to eliminate. I would love to just take people through just because of the, I know the listener base here. Um, If we can take them through just sort of an example, maybe real time of sort of characteristics, would that be okay? Yeah, sure.
1: Yeah. So yeah. I
0: don't know if you want to. Yeah. Well, I guess knowing the listener base, there's a lot of driven people on listening to this and driven, ambitious people tend to have that characteristic of anxiety Right. And foods that may contribute to that anxiety. I would love to hear just sort of your thoughts. Cause I know one of the the quiz sections is neurological. So can we just go a little bit through that?
1: Yeah, specifically around brain health or yeah, please. That'd be anxiety, great. Anxiety. Yeah. So yeah, I started the book out with a quiz, and the quiz is adapted from questions they ask patients. Actually, that health history that I just talked about. So it's really just I just uh, formulated the quiz to be user-friendly so they can go through the seven main sections of the inflammation spectrum. As I see it, this is all sort of just my mental invention, but this is a very, is anybody in functional medicine will kind of say, okay, yeah, that is what we see. So the gut, the brain, and the connection between the two, Mm -hmm. hormones, blood sugar regulatory system, detoxification system. Musculoskeletal system, if I didn't say that, autoimmunity is a separate entity. And then the eighth section is the interconnectedness of the seven or what I call polyinflammation. Mm -hmm. Inflammation in one area can beget a ripple effect of inflammation in Mm -hmm. another area. So like, for example, inflammation in the gut can beget inflammation in the brain or vice versa, This sort of bidirectional relationship between the gut and the brain. So once people take that quiz, they can find out where am I at on the inflammation spectrum, Meaning, how high or how low infl- is inflammation seemingly to be in my body? This obviously isn't a lab, uh, which is more definitive, but this is subjectively uh, telling you which questionnaires are very helpful in health. They're very good metrics to gauge improvement. Uh, so we are looking at subjectively the data as far as where your inflammation levels are, and then more importantly, where or not i shouldn't say more importantly but also importantly is where inflammation levels are being impacting or impacting you the most so to use your example of the brain most people think of mental health as separate than physical health but in the functional medicine the way that we see it and way research is now pointing to is and confirming how we see it is that mental health is not Separate, separate from physical health. Mental health is physical health. Our brain is part of our body. We cannot separate it, separate it as some separate thing. Um, you know, Dr. Amon, uh, Daniel Amon said it best a couple weeks ago when I was talking to him. He said psychiatry is the only field of medicine that doesn't look at the organ it treats. Like we like to look <laughs> at, like we think of just this mental health thing. Well, no, our brain is being impacted by this. So there's amazing research coming out, looking at the microglial cells, the brain's immune system, um, yeah. as a component to mental health. Mm-hmm. So, And there's a field of research referred to as the cytokine model of cognitive function. Cytokines are pro-inflammatory cells. Microglial cells are really what researchers are looking at, at being this sort of Triggered inflammatory response, and looking at anxiety and depression and fatigue and brain fog, all of, and ADD, ADHD, and autism too, and having these neuroinflammatory responses and how that microglial cell in balance, going back to immune balance, in balance the microglial cell checks on your neurons, and checks on your on your brain and cleans things up very nicely. But when it's triggered, when there's uh, out of balance inflammation, out of balance, that microglial cell starts to actually kill neurons and creating uh, this neuroinflammatory cascade that is linked to all these mental health issues that I just mentioned. So, food is a modulator of inflammation again. So every food we eat, like I mentioned earlier, brings inflammation up, brings inflammation down. So we want to look at these foods that researchers point researchers point to as potentially causing inflammation in some people but we're all different so i want the person to do their own end of one experiment to say okay what foods work for me mm-hmm. not because some guy says it in a book but just do their own food experiment and see what works for them and what people will find is you know it depending on their quiz score we talk about the core four foods mm-hmm. which are grains added sugar high omega-6 oil, industrial seed oils like canola oil and vegetable oil, and dairy. And I, we have a nuanced conversation in the book. So we talk about grass-fed versus you know not grass-fed, A2 versus A1 casein. We get really nitty-gritty in the reintroduction stage. But for all intents and purposes, I'm just lumping that together. The same with grains. We talk about sprouted, and we talked about organic and gluten versus non-gluten, but we're just keeping it simple at the beginning. Mm-hmm. but. And then the eliminate track is the core four plus four or more. So those are the people that scored higher on the inflammation spectrum quiz. So you do the core four plus you remove four or more foods because your inflammation levels are higher and the intervention is going to be higher. So that's adding in nightshades, peppers, tomatoes, eggplants, goji berries, white potatoes, nuts and seeds, legumes, and eggs. Mm-hmm. Especially the eliminate, that four or more above the core four foods, all those are healthy foods. Like generally speaking, right? They're not inherently bad. They're all from the earth. They're, I, I, there's many people that do fine with those foods, especially if they're properly preparing them. But we're all different, and what I want person to, the the reader to find is may they maybe they do f- good on five of those foods, but not three. Maybe they do with good with six of the foods, but not two. But r- removing those foods will dramatically change inflammation levels in their body, and in turn. Imp- Be lowering that bucket of inflammation that's impacting their brain to use as an example, but that could impact hormones and gut and their muscles and joints and all these different systems of the body Um, because the albumin in the egg white, the uh, casein in the dairy, the lectins and phytates in in the legumes and the nuts and seeds and the grains all of these can be problematic, the alkaloids and the nightshades. So all of these compounds can be problems for some people because of this intestinal permeability that's going on. So we're actively healing the gut, we're lowering inflammation, and then we're removing this for four foods for, for four weeks for core four and removing the eight foods for eight weeks for eliminate. And then we have that systematic reintroduction, uh, which is just based on functional medicine principles of what how to lean into from the statistically the most... Uh, I would say the least problematic ones to Mm -hmm. the most problematic ones, but that's general in and of itself, because you may find that the, some of the low problematic ones are problematic for you and the least problematic or the most problematic ones, sorry, are not problematic for you bio individuality. So this is the system that I'm teaching in the book.
0: Mm -hmm. Do you find eight weeks to be enough for most people to eliminate or because you hear elimination protocols sometimes lasting out to a year before you reintroduce, uh, is eight weeks enough for most people, or if they are severely inflamed, does it have to be longer?
1: It's, it's enough for people to get an answer on their reintroduction. Gotcha. It's not enough to get everybody to where they need to go health wise. So it's, and that's a really a deep conversation that I have in the book is like, look, this, just because if you're bringing a your food back in after eight weeks and you're having a problem, doesn't mean that, you can't have that food forever you may have just reintroduced it too soon yeah uh, and that's a conversation i have for pa- with patients too but i'm having it with the reader in the book to say like look like let's give this more time so we look at the data of showing that gastrointestinal systems many people that have those higher inflammation levels require 18 24 months for some people to really get to the place of their maximum resilience, mm-hmm. and that could be you know seventy percent better than they used to be or one hundred percent better, but it 's going to take that sort of time to calm things down because again, there are many complex, difficult, severe cases out there, of course now, and that 's where the quiz is supposed to be sort of a a way to see, and they can retake the quiz after eight weeks, retest it yeah the quiz and I would assume the vast majority of them are going to dramatically reduce their inflammation levels and they 'll be able to see that on the quiz but they're not going to be a hundred percent in eight weeks. So mm-hmm. that requires maybe more time to give, give that, give the system more time.
0: Mm-hmm. So in a way it can be run like the MSQ where you're, or yeah. a promise 10 questionnaire where you're taking it every month and just seeing how that person is checking in. Right. Totally. Yeah. Oh, that's great. Uh, while you're doing these elimination protocols, are, are you doing uh, adding on additional supplements in order to heal the gut? Like for instance, uh, glutamine you hear, tossed around a lot in these conversations. Are you adding additional supplements for your for your patients as well?
1: Yeah. So the after that quiz in the book, uh, there's based on where their focus point is, they have a toolbox. So mm-hmm. remember I mentioned the seven sections. And I know you know this because you listen to the book, but basically you know, maybe you'll have a score higher in the brain or the higher in the hormones or higher in the gut. You have your own set of supplements to focus on um, to further tailor and personalize all of this. Because mm-hmm. maybe, you know, for somebody, that maybe they don't score higher in the hormones at all. Well, why would you want to be focusing extra stuff on your hormones? I mean, not that it's going to hurt you, it's not, but if you're going to be spending your money and you're focused on something that's irrelevant to you. So I'd rather like narrow down, okay, like the gut, my gut score high is a lot higher than the rest of them. I'm going to really focus on this. And that's another major principle of functional medicine. It's Bioindividuality, It's what's right, right for my body. And just because something's healthy or real food or organic or herbal doesn't necessarily mean it's appropriate for you. So mm-hmm. the quiz can not only say, okay, subjectively, where is inflammation levels in my body and where should I focus? What levels are the highest? But okay, what are some things I can bring during my elimination diet experience to target the things that are highest in me? Um, So yeah, that's definitely something we deal with. And then those non-food components too. So over the four weeks for the core four plan or the eight weeks for the eliminate plan, they will have um, non-food things to be mindful of. And those are more insidious in a way where it's like, okay, we're dealing with foods and it's pretty straightforward for self-experimentation, but not everybody's going to have the same non-food inflamers. So there's eight of them in the book, but I want the reader to sort of grab the ones that, that are the most problematic for them. Because like I say in the book, you could be eating really healthy foods, but if you're serving your body a big slice of stress every day or a toxic relationship you know, with social media or not getting enough sleep that's, those are going to be inflammatory too. So the, I want them to pick these non-food inflamers too and say, okay, mm-hmm. not just going to deal about food and realize these non-food things are in some for some people bigger modulators of their biochemistry more than food. But obviously, it starts with food because everybody's eating. But I want people to grab these non-food inflamers too because those are also very powerful modulators of their health.
0: Mm-hmm. It's one of the more, I'm assuming just because you're in the United States, I know you see people around the world, but statistics on sleep in the United States are pretty horrific. Is that a pretty common one among people? They just don't sleep very well.
1: Yeah, it is. The quality and the quantity of sleep is really um, poor. Mm -hmm. Um, And we just don't, Respect it very much. I mean, we, we just—it's almost like uh, it gets in the way in many ways. And people will say, like, "Oh, I just love sleep. I wish I could sleep," but they don't really give it the the value and the respect that it needs. It's almost like uh, this thing that comes as an afterthought to everything else. Yeah, and they're not ca- setting themselves up for res- restful, restorative sleep.
0: Yeah, you and I grew up with you know, some of these rappers coming out with like sleep is the cousin of death, right? And, you know, it's it's just funny because I used to entrain that in my mind that hey, I only needed four hours of sleep. It turns out that it's probably accelerating that death rate a little bit if I actually followed their yep. advice.
1: Yeah, really bad advice. <laughs> but I think that's really bad advice. Yeah, so we, because uh, just one night of poor sleep's been shown despite high sensitivity C-reactor protein, this mm-hmm. inflammatory marker. One night of poor sleep, let alone this epidemic of sleep disorders and lack of sleep that's going on. And it's the sleep disorder spectrum. There's a lot of things that can be going on. Is it, is it sleep apnea? Is it too much caffeine? Is it too much sugar? Is it too much stress? Uh, is it too much technology with the blue light impact that that's having? We have to look at what are these sleep uh, impactors, negative sleep impactors, and as they call it, sleep hygiene. Like really cultivating a good sleep hygiene practices, which, which we talk about in the book. We give people practical tools, a lot of low cost to no cost tools to really bring into their life to restore their sleep to help repair their body. Their body needs to repair through the night, mm-hmm. and those microglial cells that I just mentioned in the brain. It does a lot of pruning and cleaning and autophagy at night. Mm-hmm. So so allow your body to repair things in a balanced way through the, throughout the night.
0: Well, well, you mentioned your patient base. There are people that come in with autoimmune conditions. And one trending diet that has just been fascinating to me is the carnivore diet. How do you look at that as a functional medicine practitioner? Because you're abandoning an entire macronutrient, but I would love to hear just mm-hmm. your thoughts because you've seen some pretty amazing success stories with certain people as well.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I You would think in my first book, Ketotarian, is a mostly plant-based ketogenic book, (laughs) which I know we've talked about last time. You'd think, what's the author of Ketotarian going to think about the carnivore diet? But um, it's a tool that I use for people that really need it. Uh, It's a well-formulated nutrients carnivore diet for a time being. It's not forever and ever. Yeah not doing it for years so, on end so
0: you're not going to support the three decade carnivore people out there <laughs> no I, I, is
1: that a thing i don't yeah, know i, that I was think a thing. there's
0: there's a couple people that have been claiming to do it for multiple decades which uh, mm-hmm. you know obviously documentation isn't support it, they don't have it but yeah it would so be interesting it would I be agree. very interesting to see what happens long term on the carnivore diet
1: Yeah. Look, and if it works for somebody, if it truly is their biochemistry, it really works for them. Their labs look great. I don't think we have any data. I haven't seen any (laughs) that long of data on people. Mm -hmm. But um, in the short term, I think it's a a necessary intervention for some people. And it's an ultimate elimination diet for a while. For Mm -hmm. people that have these overt, crazy food sensitivities, which some of my patients have, uh, you are going to even the core four and the eliminate is not going to be a strong enough intervention for these people. So you have to go the extra mile. And we have this, a sidebar at the end of the inflammation spectrum that talks about histamines and salicylates and oxalates and all of the, all these other plant compounds that can be problematic. So those additional histamines, oxalates, salicylates, all these other stuff, a, a clean, well-formulated carnivore diet can be appropriate for them for a the time being. And then you have to lean into soft cooked pureed Foods and bone broth stews and soups, for and lean back into that because what my concern with a carnivore diet for the average person long term is that it's going to cause them to have an overreaction to more foods in the long run. Mm -hmm. Because the reality is, it's not going to be sustainable for most people. Look, if you're a a type A, one percent biohacker like superhero human being, then maybe. You can do it longer period of time, but I would venture to say even though those people aren't going to do it forever and ever. Mm-hmm. They may be carnivore adjacent. They may be, as Paul Saladino calls it, carnivore-ish. And I love Paul, Paul Saladino. He's an awesome guy, friend of mine. I, I, I We have more in common than separate. But I would say for the average person, and I, that's who I talk to, uh consult, I don't deal with the, the people that are just experimenting this for the sake of it, it's because they have to do it. Um, so for a while, uh, that can be a time, it could be good to calm things down, but then you want to reintroduce. But if you do it forever for a long period of time, my assumption and not just assumption, what I have seen clinically is that things that they didn't have a reaction to, or re- they can't even digest the simplest of soft cooked, pureed vegetables. And it's similar to me as the vegan that has a problem when they bring meat in, they can't digest meat. Mm-hmm. So what do you say to the vegan then? They, they, the meat is, is they're having an intolerance to meat? Uh, no, it's their microbiome is shifted and their hypochlorhydria, the decreased hydrochloric acid, they're not even able, they don't have the proper enzymes in the microbiome and the stomach acid to break down these foods. I believe that's the same thing that's happened with long-term carnivore people The things they would never had a problem with before, now they have a problem with more things. And not to say that's irreversible, just like the vegan is able to rebuild and shift their microbiome and HCL production and their way to digest certain meats. The same thing would happen for a long-term carnivore. But I feel like what the good out of it is then it's like more is better. Well, okay. There's a lack of balance. There's a lack of middle of the road sort of thing. And I think the truth oftentimes somewhere in the middle is that you can be carnivore-ish, you can be carnivore adjacent if you want to do that and it's working for you. But I don't think an exclusive carnivore diet for long-term is really going to be practical or pragmatic or even desirable for most human beings.
0: Mm -hmm. Uh, Last question before I transition just into the final three, but fasting. How do you layer in fasting with all of this? Do you like time restricted feeding is getting a lot of attention right now? How do you look at that with most clients? Is it better for males versus females? It does it, I guess it's all bio-individual, but do you try and guide people towards a certain eating window?
1: So there's definitely some caveats that men versus women should make over men. Um, And I talk about this in Ketotarian that Mm -hmm. women tend to have higher levels of they make, make make them more sensitive to caloric restriction and fasting windows. If it's impacting your cycle, if it's impacting your your period, then then you wanna lean lighter. I'm talking generalities here. Yeah. But there are some women that have endometriosis or PCOS or insulin resistance, metabolic syndrome. Those women are gonna do better generally speaking with a little bit more fasting, more like some guys. So to lump women all in one bracket is not fair because all women have different things, just like all men have different things going on with their health. So what's your starting point is the, really the, the, the uh, question, but I'm a fan of it. It's just start off low and slow, lean into it. It's an amazing tool to gain metabolic flexibility. I think there's wonderful, exciting research around it, but more isn't always better. You can find a balance and find a grace and a lightness to it because my concern with it is if it's done you know, with good intentions, but it's done like more is better and we're just going to fast our way out of this. Uh, I, I feel like it could, and then become this disordered eating and then mm-hmm. an eating disorder disguised as a wellness practice and orthorexia and all this type of problem. I don't think that's good, but as long as there's context as a grace and a lightness to it, I think it's a great tool to have, but you don't have to be super aggressive with it to get some of the
0: benefits that research is pointing to. Mm-hmm. You know, one key message for everybody is that definitely, yeah. And you keep banging on this is it bio-individuality, right? Is just, mm-hmm. we're all... Individual and I love that message. I love that message coming from the book. First, Thanks. first of the final three questions, and I, I told you this before the show. I'm amazed that you're able to keep this all going and everything. How do you or what's your top trick for enhancing focus?
1: Um, I would, for me, it's mindfulness practice. It's that's to me the a genesis of a great focused day. Mm -hmm. it's it's being present with that patient that i'm consulting and really just listening to them holding space for them or if it's just if i'm writing an article it's being rooted in that present moment so it's present moment awareness is to me the best thing i could do uh for focus
0: and present moment awareness did you develop that practice by initially reading eckhart tolle or something or what where did Mm -hmm. it come from
1: yeah, it came from him. Okay. Yeah, that, his two books, Eckhart, Eckhart Tolle, The Power of Now and New Earth, to me, are the most like mm-hmm. fundamental human books of just logical living. Because mm-hmm. um, you don't have to be any sort of one way. You don't have to be any, you don't even have to be super spiritual uh, to really say, okay, this is a logical way of, of living. Uh, so I do practice a lot of his principles just Uh, on a daily basis. And it's from him for sure.
0: What book has significantly impacted how you live your life? And you may have just answered it. (laughs)
1: Yeah. Those two books are probably the most like day-to-day basis. Those to me are the most impactful books for me.
0: Yeah. What excites you most about the health world right now? I think it's people Waking
1: up to the aspect of bioindividuality. It's it's the it's the spectrum. And, and I think that the the reason why I wanted that book titled to be the inflammation spectrum is because it's not just inflammation that exists on a spectrum. It's humanity exists on a spectrum. So I think that just looking at these tools that we have and picking up the tools that work for you sustainably. And to me, that's like the the coolest thing that I see people waking up to. Um, yeah, so that's what I'm excited
0: about. Amazing. Dr. Cole, where can people find out more about you? Uh,
1: everybody can get all the information at drwillcole.com. That's D-R-W-I-L-L-C-O-L-E.com. Same on Instagram at Dr. Will Cole, Twitter, Facebook, all those places
0: amazing dr cole thank you for taking the time round two
1: and i really yeah.
0: appreciate catching up with you as always and uh, yes, at some you. point i'm going to seek your advice on how to structure my cons- my consulting practice but <laughs> yeah anytime i'm here thanks so much for having me appreciate it to all the superhumans listening out there have an epic day i want to let you guys in on a little secret dr cole and i st- talked for so long that he was late for his next consultation he was extremely generous with his time and i'm very sorry for his patient. but i love the knowledge that he dropped in this podcast inflammation elimination diets how to individualize your elimination diets and the bio individuality of it all it's a beautiful thing the show notes for this one are decodingsuperhuman.com slash dr cole 2 and head on over to Amazon or you can even click the link in the show notes and pick up Dr. Cole's new book, The Inflammation Spectrum, as well as his old book, Ketotarian, which is still one of my go-tos. Thank you, superhumans, for tuning in. Have an absolutely epic day. And if you got anything out of this, share it on the social medias.